Well, good morning, everyone. My name's Ollie. If I haven't met you, I'm the uh, pastor of our youth and our young adults here. And uh, it's a real privilege to be with you this morning and to open God's Word. I just want to share with you great, um, exciting things happening in our youth and our young adults. Uh, yesterday, our young adult team, sorry, big pardon, our youth team uh, got together for a retreat uh, to plan, to pray. I'm uh, really excited to see what God's going to do in our, through our team this year uh, in our youth. Uh, we've started our evening 5 p.m. young adult and youth service. Really cool uh, to gather and exciting to see the next generation hungry for the Lord, hungry for the Word. Uh, and we're going to be coming together next week for a camp. I really appreciate your prayers. We've got some newcomers coming along. And if you are a young adult, we'd love to see you there. Uh, it's going to be a great time. So that's happening Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Uh, but today we continue in our series in Ruth. If I was to say to you, the notebook, what comes to mind? Romance, Ryan Gosling. Anyone actually think of a notebook? Anyone? That's right. If I say pride and prejudice, we love a good romance novel. Romance stories have a great effect on us. The book of Ruth is not a romance novel. There are no lessons about love and dating here. Well, maybe you think, well, wouldn't this be every girl's dream to cozy up to a nice, successful, good man and for him to turn and notice you, affirm you, propose to you? Or maybe every guy's dream that a girl would just suddenly appear at the bottom of your bed. I mean, if dating was that simple, <laughs> a girl can hope. I mean, a guy can hope. But yet romance is not the driving emotion of this story. We tend to want to read Ruth with an individualistic, self-centered perspective. Uh, that's all about Ruth discovering the man of her dreams. But Ruth is not like the notebook. Which I hope for all those who rolled their eyes uh, and checked out when they heard uh, a series about love and romance, uh, that you can check back in and see this book differently. Rather, Ruth is a book about radical, selfless, uncompromising faithfulness. And loyalty. It's a faithfulness that points to a faithful God. And this is a vision that our world desperately needs. This picture of faithfulness. From abandoned New Year's resolutions, to the lack of resilience, to the breakdown of marriages, to the resignation of parental responsibilities, to the self-centeredness of leaders, to the incitements of violence, to the lack of care of the environment. The world needs the hope of a faithful God. And the world needs a hope of, a, of the faithful love and service of a church who does not set aside her responsibility, but faithfully, uncompromisingly lives out her identity as God's people. We need the truth of Ruth. Everyone say the truth of Ruth. I don't believe you. The truth of Ruth. Good. We need it, not for dating advice or romance counseling, but, but a call to radical, uncompromising, steadfast faithfulness. And as Jim reminded us before, the faithfulness of our great Redeemer, Jesus Christ. So you ready to look at this? Two people are. That's right. It's worth it. Are you ready? Well, have your Bibles open with me to Ruth chapter 3. Uh, and as you're doing that, let me pray as we ask God to speak to us. 
Our Lord God, we thank you so much that you have been so gracious to reveal yourself to us and that we have your word. We believe it is alive and active. We believe that by your word that we are saved. Lord, we pray that we would know and see more of who you are today and that you would continue to give us soft hearts, that you would grow us as your body to be people who are faithful. And Lord, we just pray that in all this that we would see Christ and you would be worshipped and you would be glorified. Just pray, Lord, focus our hearts now as we come to your word. Amen. Well, catching you up to this point, uh, in the time of the judges, uh, following the exodus from Egypt, the, the people of Israel have now settled in the promised land. And a man named Elimelech has uh, married Naomi and they have two sons. However, rather than trusting God, Elimelech compromises by moving his family to Moab and his sons marry two Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. Well, the father and the two sons die and Naomi is left with two daughters-in-law. So Naomi decides to return to Israel and Ruth alone joins her, resolutely promising to Naomi, chapter 1, verse 16, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. As Ruth says, your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Well, Ruth and Naomi, they return to Israel and they have nothing. And so Ruth goes to the fields to glean what she can at the barley harvest. And Ruth so happens to glean from a field of a relative named Boaz. Boaz, he takes notice of her and he takes notice of her faithfulness to Naomi and so he shows her favor, shows Ruth favor. And Ruth goes home, she tells Naomi all that's happened and Naomi, she's excited, chapter 2 verse 20, 2 verse 20, she says, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. He has not forsaken. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative, one of ours, one of our redeemers. And that brings us to chapter 3, where we are today. And at the start of this chapter, Ruth uh, and Naomi, they're together and Naomi hatches a plan where Ruth is going to lay down and, and, and go to Boaz as he sleeps at night. You know, some think this is a crazy, if not a stupid plan, throwing yourself out there, as Naomi suggests. But I rather like to think that Naomi is believing courageously in the promises of God. Faithfulness looks like courage. You see, I believe Naomi was banking on God's word to be true. She trusted God that a redeemer would be responsible for marrying a widow with no heir. So let's take a look at this plan. Let's look at it. Chapter 3, if you've got that in front of you. Uh, Naomi says to Ruth, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, anoint yourself, and put on a cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. See, Ruth demonstrates great 
courage in this moment. Because to be obedient to Naomi would mean taking a great risk traveling in the middle of the night. There were no street lights, no mobile phones, no local police force, Michelle Hollis coming to your rescue in the middle of the night. And this was the time in Israel's history, the time of the judges, of, of great lawlessness and debauchery. Ruth would have been at risk of being robbed or attacked or worse. So she takes great courage to be obedient. Yet Ruth's obedience was also courageous because it wasn't Ruth's only option. Ruth could have compromised and married any other man. She could have taken the easy way out. How do we know this? Boaz affirms this. We read it in verse 10. If you look down, he says, You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. Rather, Ruth demonstrates radical and courageous faithfulness, loyalty to the word and the promises of God. And so why didn't she go and marry someone else? Why was it courageous or faithful to pursue a relative? Well, if you've got your Bible with you, uh, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 25. Uh, if you see it, circle it. Uh, but if you'd rather just look on the screen, I'll have it up there. You see, Ruth's obedience to Naomi, what she was doing was actually faithfulness and fidelity to her late husband and her, her father-in-law, even after they died. Deuteronomy 25 verse 5 says, If brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. The first son she bears shall carry on the name of the dead brother so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. You see, God's beautiful law that he'd given to Moses to preserve the family of God and to, and to protect the widow. See, the relative of a dead man with no heir has a duty to marry the widow, to provide an heir, and to pre preserve the family line. And so Ruth's courageous act of obedience to pursue Boaz, a relative, and not compromise by marrying someone else. See, Boaz affirms, thank you, you haven't gone and done that. See, it was to demonstrate loyalty to God and Naomi's family line. Faithfulness is courage, not compromise. The difference that Jesus describes between taking the narrow path of faithfulness that leads to life and the wide path of compromise that leads to destruction. The narrow path takes courage. Last year, our Catalyst Young Leaders walked some of the Hyson along the Flurio Coast, uh, and this is what some of the paths looked like. It took courage, as you can see in Amy and Abby's eyes, so too, being faithful will be like taking a narrow path. It takes courage. Taking the wide path is naturally going to be easier. It's quicker. It's simpler. It's likely going to better serve your own interests. You see, Ruth's faithfulness, her courage here, I think challenges our tendency to want to do the easy, to compromise. Where might we be compromising in our faithfulness to God? You know, I struggle with this. Temptation to put other things first. 
like comfort, money, or self-pleasure, self-preservation. Faithfulness takes courage, and so often we compromise. So I want you to think about what might be the quick, easy out, that temptation that's tempting you right now. Maybe it's the extra attention that you're getting at work from a colleague that's not your husband or wife and it's becoming flirtation. Maybe the temptation, the easy option to just go to the TV or, or video games instead of devoting that time to, to your family or to God. Maybe that compromise to, to skip out on community group or, or gathering as the church because it's just too hard, I just can't be bothered. You see, we're just always confronted with this temptation towards idolatry, compromising on our faithfulness to God by substituting other things, people or self, over our love for Him. And you know, I get it. We want that rest. We want that fulfillment. We want that acceptance. You see, Naomi wanted that too. She was seeking rest for Ruth. That a daughter-in-law might find that fulfillment, but can you see that it would come through faithfulness to God's Word, not compromise? True rest would come through faithfulness. And Ruth, she was courageous not to compromise. In fact, the community knew her as a worthy woman. And may that be what is said of this community. That people would know us as those who are faithful and set apart and worthy. But Ruth, she's radically humble in her submission to to Naomi in her pursuit of Boaz. So if you've got Ruth open with me to chapter 3, verse 6, let's keep going through this amazing story. Verse 6, so she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight the man was startled and turned over and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer. All right, what's going on here? Boaz didn't have wings. This isn't twilight. As much as we'd like to imagine that our dream guy would be an angel, he doesn't have wings. What Ruth is actually inviting here that we need to see is a marriage proposal. She's asking for a marriage proposal. Another translation reads uh, that Boaz would, would spread the corner of his garment over her. The wings referring to, to the garment. Oh, that, that makes sense. Still haven't got it? Me neither. Had to read this. (laughs) Essentially, to spread your garment over a widow was to claim responsibility as redeemer. To say, I take responsibility. I promise myself to marry her. It's much cheaper than an engagement ring. But see what's happening there is is Ruth saying, propose to me, I'm, you're my redeemer. So Ruth, is, she's boldly put herself there, in the middle of the night, so not to be seen. Remember, Ruth is a Moabite woman, a poor, foreign refugee. This risk, will Boaz accept her? This courageous faith that she puts herself there, will Boaz take responsibility? Ruth has nothing to offer him. It's incredible courage. Faithfulness takes courage, and it will mean taking risks. Maybe for you, faithfulness will mean the risk of standing out, putting yourself out there as a disciple of Jesus. Perhaps the risk 
of faithfulness to God is a sacrifice, a sacrifice of a job or, or a promotion, sacrifice of time, or a compromising relationship. Faithfulness takes great courage. We'll take risks. We've been sitting in Ruth's shoes for a bit of time. Well, let's take off her sandals now and, and jump into Boaz's. Boaz has had a merry old time at the harvest. He's had a few cold ones. His belly is full and his, and his heart is merry. He'll need to be up early for the harvest and so he sleeps next to a bed of grain. In the night, his toes get a little bit chilly. He wriggles them and he rolls over and I love the word that the ESV translation has Behold, a woman lay at his feet. Boaz asked this woman, who are you? Only to be met essentially with a marriage proposal. I want us to take note now, of this is what's happening and look at how Boaz responds. Think about what's going on, just think about what's happening here. A foreign woman, vulnerable, poor, laying at your feet in the middle of the night. And Boaz could have demanded that she leave. He could have exploited her vulnerability and the, and the secrecy. He could have sent her off to any of the other workers in the estate. Rather, Boaz demonstrates his faithfulness by firstly responding to Ruth's vulnerability with tenderness and with honor and with generosity. Look down with me at verse 10. And Boaz said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Can you hear that tenderness in his voice? Boaz protects her. He doesn't abandon her to the darkness. Boaz, he then allows her to stay and to leave early in the morning so as not to attract attention or shame from the community. He even lavishes her with so much generosity, sending her home with barley to Naomi. I think Boaz responds faithfully to God's command in Deuteronomy 10. This beautiful word of God that, that Boaz would have known. Deuteronomy 10 verse 17 says, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords. The great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. How refreshing this picture of honor that Boaz has shown. It's especially ref refreshing as we live in a culture of extortion and, and pride and depreciation. What a contrast, this tenderness and this honor to a culture where women are objectified and, and trafficked and abused in pornography. People groups are demeaned by side jokes, lewd comments, where domestic violence is prevalent and where refugees in need are abandoned, dehumanized? What has our response been to vulnerability? 
judgment, critique, excuses? Will we stand apart as people of honor and tenderness, treating the vulnerable as Jesus modeled for us with love, with gentleness? Faithfulness looks like honor. It looks like integrity. This is the love God calls us to. So Boaz is firstly responded to Ruth's presence with tenderness. And now we're going to see how Boaz accepts responsibility as Ruth's redeemer. And I want you to remember, romance is not the driving emotion here. Rather, Boaz accepts his duty. Duty, it seems like an old-fashioned word from wartime era, but it's something we get right. We get responsibility. Reduce, reuse, recycle. Wash your hands before you eat. To brush after you flush. That one's for the uh, City Reach staff, the uh, toilet door sign. You break it, you buy it. Mates before dates. If you see something, say something. Duty and responsibility. It's something we understand. It's a call to action, a call to faithfulness, a responsibility. Boaz is faithful to accept his duty as Ruth's redeemer, and he does not abdicate. That word abdicate means a failure to fulfill a responsibility or a duty. And so we see Boaz, he doesn't abdicate his duty. He does not expect someone else to do it. He accepts it. He steps up. He is faithful to God's commands. Remember God's word to, in Deuteronomy 10 and Deuteronomy 25. Boaz had a responsibility as the kinsman redeemer. Despite there being another potential redeemer, a closer relative, Boaz actually understands Ruth and Naomi's needs, and he sees his own potential and own capability to do something. He doesn't give the old handball, he accepts it. Maybe there's a responsibility that God is calling you to, a place to serve, a neighbor to love. Sure, someone else might do it, but faithfulness is a call not to abdicate responsibility, but to stand up and be counted to lay aside self-centeredness and walk in the opportunities that God has before us. Ruth is not a romance novel. And it's a shame that it doesn't get preached at men's conferences enough. It seems like we relegate it as as something just for the girls. But I, I want us to see that this is a story about uncompromising faith uncompromising faithfulness. But Ruth is not just a story about faithfulness. Above all, Ruth is a story about Christ. And without this vision of Christ and his faithfulness, we will fail. I said the world needs a vision of faithfulness. We need a vision of faithfulness. And what we see in Ruth, as we pull the microscope out, and we look at God's bigger picture, God's radical faithfulness as he will preserve a remnant of faithful people. You see, Ruth is set in the time of the judges, a time where Israel were continuously turning their back on God as have we. In the thick of this unfaithfulness, God is weaving a thread of promise, a promise that goes all the way back to Eve, that from Eve would come an offspring that would crush evil. And this thread continued through to Abraham, as God promised that through his family line, this offspring, all the nations of the world would find blessing. In Ruth, we see this thread continue 
As Ruth and Boaz remained faithful to the promises of God, Boaz would become Ruth's redeemer. He would rescue Ruth out of obscurity, out of brokenness, out of fear, and he would shelter her with his loving arms. And from Ruth and Boaz's offspring would one day come a greater redeemer. You see, the faithfulness of God, who would never, not for a moment, abandon his promise to save. God would send his son Jesus. Jesus, who would faithfully pay the ultimate price of his own blood shed on the cross to purchase us as his bride, as Jim reminded us before. God is faithful and he is just and he will. God will redeem us from obscurity. He will redeem us from our brokenness, from our fear. This is a picture of God's faithfulness. And as Ruth, as Boaz comforted Ruth with the words, do not fear. So too Jesus would say to his disciples, do not fear. And these words that ring true again today, as God says to you, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. We need this vision of God's faithfulness, his faithfulness to us. I'm going to invite the band up and we're going to finish in a moment. I've been really struck by this picture of, of Ruth and Boaz and their faithfulness. I mean, that's what was motivating their actions. And as we see this picture, often I think how far short I fall. But how tender and loving is Christ to us that even as we are faithless, He remains faithful. And so this morning, if you know, perhaps you've been walking in unfaithfulness and compromise, or if you've been walking in fear and complacency, today I want you to hear his voice. In a faithless world, there is one who is faithful, who hears you, who loves you, who calls you. You see, Jesus was faithful when we remained faithful faithless and he comes and he clothes us with his grace and he wraps us with his righteousness his love and his amazing amazing grace I just want to invite you if today the Holy Spirit is convicting you and you know that you, you need a change you've been walking in unfaithfulness and you want to stand and receive Christ's faithful love and you, his redemption and, and to stand as a, a symbol of repentance that you want to be a person who walks in this courageous, uncompromising, and honorable faithfulness of God. I want to invite you to stand, or if you can't, just to raise your hand. So as a community, we can pray that we're in this journey together. This, this call to be true and faithful to God, and to walk in this courage, to walk in this responsibility and integrity. There's nothing magical about standing, but it is, and it could be a tangible moment for you of response and of dedication. And like I said, we want to pray and we want to love you. And if that's you and you want to make that response today, I just want to give you that opportunity to make a tangible, a tangible moment as our souls are connected to our bodies. And, and as, like I said, as a community, we just want to uphold you in prayer. 
And so I just want to give you that opportunity now, if that's you. Let's all stand. Thank you for your courage, brother. And let's stand and let's pray all together. Our Lord God, we want to worship you in this moment that you are faithful, even when we are faithless. And Father, we thank you for your your faithfulness for generations and that continues for generations to come. That we do have hope, that we do have a future that we do have what the world needs, and that is Christ. Lord, we're sorry for the times that we compromise and the times where we act in selfishness. And we're so desperate for your spirit to come and change us and help us to walk in your ways. And thank you, Lord, that even when we fall, you are always good and gracious to lift us up. So we just pray today, Lord, that you would help us in the coming hours and the coming days and weeks that we would stand and we would follow you and we would be faithful to you, that we would choose the narrow path, that we would put to death sin, that we would let go of all the sin that entangles and we would set our eyes on Jesus, the author, the perfecter of our faith and our great and great and awesome redeemer. Thank you, Lord, that you purchased us. Thank you that you're with us. We just pray for your help. Pray that we would discover that rest that Naomi sought for Ruth, that that moment of peace and comfort and strength that can only come from you. So Lord, we just rest in you right now. We rest in your goodness. And we want to make a commitment, Lord, to uh, not compromise, but to to remain true to you. There is no other hope. There is no other way but, but you. And so we thank you, Lord. We we praise you that you've paid the price that our sins are forgiven. And so we walk in the knowledge of your freedom and your grace and your strength. We pray all this in the power of Jesus. Amen.